Well, thanks so much, Jonathan, for, for joining me today. Really excited to, to chat about, you know, what you're working on, you know, what the team is working on with Creator Cabins and everything that's that's going on with the idea and the vision. But maybe take us back just through the ideation process and maybe the journey of just, uh, you know, thinking about this endeavor and maybe what were those first conversations like? You know, there there's a lot of, uh, depends on how far back you want to go, really. In some sense, I, I feel like uh, this project has brought together a lot of pieces of, um, you know, my past and, and other people's past who, who have been working on it in, in some unexpected ways. I mean, you can go all the way back to um, the fact that I was born and raised in Austin and um, grew up, you know, going out into the hill country. And that was my first real exposure to nature and camping I, I kind of fell in love with with the Texas Hill Country and then you know the first job I ever wanted when, when I was a kid was uh, to be an architect I spent a lot of time with like these you know late 90s like architectural software cd-roms um, like building houses for my family and babysitters and stuff um, uh, you know then by the time I got to middle school was very interested in online communities and became a very active uh, lurker and member of early Reddit and Dig and uh, message boards. I was a super nerdy kid. So I was really spent a lot of time on the Science Olympiad message boards. Anyway, so that, that was a thread uh, that, that was really important to me. And then after college, ended up um, getting together with a couple of my college buddies and trying to start uh, what at the time was essentially a token-gated online community, um, mm -hmm. though we weren't using the words token-gated at the time. Sure. Uh, and it also was a terrible time to build that. It was like right <laughs> as, um, you know, Facebook was was pretty dominant there uh, and nobody was <laughs> really interested in joining like obscure paid online communities and so that didn't really work out and I decided I needed to go spend some time you know figuring out how real startups worked and ended up applying yeah. to a bunch of places and, and went to Instacart spent six years there working on and, and leading product teams on the shopper side of the platform learned a lot about gig work thought a lot about how to build software for gig workers and how the decreasing transaction costs of software were were going to really change the way that people work and then got kind of burnt out on Web, Web 2, ended up uh, sure. uh, on a vacation that my my boss mandated and I take to go figure <laughs> out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. On, on a, Ended up on a little island off the coast of Thailand and um, thought a lot about things for about a month. And, oh, you know, I can, can look back to those old journal entries. I think that's where a lot of the, the actual story of, of Cabin starts and, and the desire, you know, to go out and, and build a cabin in the woods and kind of get away from it all and then you know started spending a lot of time with independent online creators some of them came out to the cabin after it was finished and and that's when we we started the DAO. interesting so the cat so you had a cabin sort of built already and that was kind of the home base for yeah, this sort so of idea and then evolution off of that exactly yeah so it was actually there was a group uh called the creator co-op and we were a, a group of people who had mostly met through uh, the internet, Twitter, and um, an online course called Rite of Passage, and, you know, had accrued some other members, and, you know, we were kind of meeting weekly, and we were all pursuing independent online creator careers, and 
we were essentially a support group and that was the first folks who I invited out to the, the cabin when we finished building it. You know, it was supposed to be a week long trip. Some people stayed for a week. Uh, a couple of people ended up staying for an extra week and, and we were just like so pumped and excited uh, about what we were thinking about and working on. Some folks stuck around to kind of put together the idea for um, what, what became Cabin now. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you first kind of you know, discover it and kind of read through what's happening. I think really did a great job just right on the website, you know, a decentralized city built by creators for creators. There's a lot of cool words there, but like, let's, let's kind of break down what that really means and and sort of the vision of cabin and maybe what you, what you visualize it being. I know there's, there's a lot going on here kind of down the road in the roadmap, but I, at its core level, let's kind of talk about what the vision is kind of right now and maybe what are you working on executing kind of right now for it and the overall. We're building a decentralized city uh, for online creators. And what that means is that we, we believe that cities are built around the dominant technology of the era. And if you look at most of the cities that we live in now, you know, they're they're mostly built around cars and they were mostly mm-hmm. built over the last couple hundred years around around automobiles. And there aren't a whole lot of new cities forming, um, which is kind of weird if you actually think about it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and there certainly aren't a lot of like new models for cities, and um, that's especially weird because we've got these incredible new technologies like the internet and computers and uh, blockchains, and it's our belief that you know over the next couple hundred years, a lot of new types of cities are going to be formed around this new yeah. set of technologies. And for us, what that means is. You know, the, the internet is interesting because uh, you don't have to be in the same place as other people. You, you know, you can connect <laughs> with anyone in the world. And so, um, you know, we, we believe what that means for cities is that you're going to have these pockets of physical nodes, like the, the place that I'm sitting in right now out in the Texas Hill Country, that will be connected via the internet, via um, a shared culture and, and possibly shared governance. Uh, to a bunch of other nodes around the world and that that DAOs are, are kind of an ideal organizational form for the, the mesh network of uh, location nodes for these decentralized cities. I guess when we say like decentralized cities, is it, is it the point to just come together and kind of, you know, talk about things, right? Or and come up with like just ideation or are there like practical real world things that will be determined, right? By these nodes everywhere that, I guess, perhaps own that plot of land where their node is or, or something like that. I guess, go a little deeper into, I guess, what the the citizens of the city, if you will, the nodes, right, will actually like do or write or want to build. Well, look, first of all, these things are, um, of course, <laughs> the saying is that Rome wasn't built in a day and, and we're <laughs> certainly not trying to build decentralized cities in a day either. Um, I, I think that the most important thing is that these places are co-created with the community. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't wouldn't begin to uh, provide an accurate picture of where this will end up because I don't think anyone really knows yet. Um, <laughs> and we, we all have to figure it out together. But I can provide a, a little bit more of a detailed sketch of, of what this might look like. You know, we see this as a multi-decade, multi-century um, yep. project. And so we have to figure out where to start now. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, exactly. And, That's the hardest uh, part, we, right? <laughs> right, the first right. Step. We have to exactly figure out what to do now. So we, we started, you know, with this node zero, this property out in the hill country started building cabins out here and now we're we're slowly carving out trails through the woods on on mm-hmm. this 28 acre property and putting in parks and bringing folks from the the dow out for 
build weeks where where we decide you know as a group what what we want to build and what we want to see more of and then we, we make it yeah. happen and then you know if you think about the sort of evolution of the, the the people coming out i think we'll we'll just continue to test larger configurations of numbers of people for lengths of time um, there's a great mm-hmm. biology um, uh, diagram of this of like the sort of development of what what he called cloud cities where you know, on one axis, you have the number of people. On the other axis, you have the, the amount of time. And people have had explorations of pulling together groups from the internet at pretty small scales for, you know, pretty short periods of time, but but that'll continue to grow. And and we want to just test out a bunch of those configurations. And, and we think the best way to do that right now in, you know, 2022 uh, is to focus our, our roadmap on building an embassy for DAOs. And we, we think the magic of getting together IRL is, you know, being with people who you have met online or, or have interacted with online, but haven't spent a lot of time with in person. And we're we're DAO people and we we know and like DAO people. And so we're uh, inviting groups of DAO people, both, you know, DAOs that want to come out here for retreats, as well as groups of ambassadors from across DAOs out to the property to spend time here and get to know each other, you know, help us all plant the, the seeds of this city. So it's going to be a DAO capital. That, is yeah, that... you know, the word capital <laughs> is, is kind of interesting because um, yeah. it implies like a level of centralization, uh, perhaps. And so mm, right, um, right, right. I don't know that there will ever really be a capital <laughs> for this city, but, you know, there will be nodes that are sort of optimized for for different things. And I think what we're optimizing for in this node is big piece of, of nature that uh, is a place where people can come together for retreats and, and gatherings. Um, but we expect that there may be nodes in the future that are take very different form factors. Maybe there will be sure. um, uh, a castle in Scotland or Lisbon. Maybe there will be <laughs> a skyscraper in Manhattan. You know, I think we're, we're open to the idea that um, that these nodes can look and, and feel pretty differently. Uh, and that actually creates a, a diversity of experience that allows people eventually, as we stitch them together, to travel around to different nodes. And, you know, ideally in the future, um, have people who are, are kind of living full time across the nodes. It's really, really interesting. We talk about the, the word, you know, DAO a lot, and it's kind of in the ether of a lot of the world now it's kind of kind of popping up everywhere right and i see a lot of people doing them trying to do them you know starting them up and it's uh it's really it's really interesting and it's it's incredible but i i think the one thing i really enjoyed about what you're up to is that you know the execution of it can be very difficult right to actually execute on the nft part of things uh for for some type of pass um a verification and ownership to you know raising money in a DAO treasury you know, there, there's all these sort of phases that, you know, a DAO to go through to actually execute on its sort of vision. Can you just maybe walk us through the journey of, of the execution of it via, you know, what do the NFTs do? How'd you raise the money for the treasury? I believe it was on Mirror, but really just the executable phases of you say, you know, your group got together and say, hey, okay, we're going to officially do this. We're going to make it a DAO. What were the first steps sort of after that to execute on that vision of, of the DAO? Yeah, great question. Look, executing as a DAO is hard. Uh, is certainly, yeah. you know, getting a bunch of people to work together in a decentralized fashion is is not something that we have a ton of experience with. You know, given given the kind of 
default state of organizations today. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we're all trying to learn as we go. In our case, you know, I think the key insight was to have this grand vision that, that people could get excited about, that we all wanted to build this decentralized city, but then to focus on the most tactical, tangible versions of that that we could at, at any given moment. And so uh, when, when the group came out here, uh, the creator co-op group that, that ended up starting the DAO, you know, we were sitting around the campfire one, one night kind of thinking about it. We'd just seen uh, Mirror had just launched their crowdfunding tool. And, yeah. um, you know, we were kind of talking about what it, it could look like to use that tool for, for something and to experiment with it. And uh, we ended up deciding that, you know, we, we were all independent online creators and we were all excited about the idea of creator residencies, giving people the liminal time and space to work on a project without a lot of outside pressures. And so we, we ended up, you know, creating this um, mirror crowdfund to where people contributed essentially a donation and got a governance token to help select groups of residents to come out for these cohorts. Um, Mm. And, you know, that, that was the original intent. We weren't um, even necessarily calling it a DAO at that point. Um, It it was like this single program that we wanted to run and and sort of see what, how some of the crowdfunding and governance tools worked and, and what we could do to support online creators. And then, you know, as we started running that program, we were noticing that a lot of really amazing people were showing up in the community and wanting to contribute. And so over the course of, of the, you know, first cohorts of the residency program, which, which became season one, we, you know, had this emergent process of people showing up in the community and us kind of figuring out what we, we wanted to do next and, and what we wanted to plan for season two, which we're in now, which, you know, is, is sort of has taken on this vision of multiplayer mode and bringing together groups of, of people, whether that's um, DAOs coming for retreats or, or the ambassador program or these build weeks. You know, I think it's just important to have the big vision, focus on like the most tangible specific thing, and then let the community, you know, be the, the group determining and, and sort of uh, emerging uh, the next phase out of the last one. It's really interesting. You talk about governance tokens. Do they, do the cohorts themselves need to, I guess, own an NFT to come on a cohort? Or is that, is that the sort of governance, whoever owns the governance token, get the vote on, you know, people submit, I guess, hey, I would like to be, you know, I'd like to come on one of the cohorts, be a member of the cohort, and then they sort of apply and then they sort of get invited uh, to right. do so for that. I guess, how, how is the cohort, I guess, to sort of decided? So, so for season one, for our first season, it was exactly what you were just describing. Um, the, the, you know, we distributed these cabin tokens, which gave people governance abilities to select applicants for, for residencies uh, in these cohorts. And so we had an open application process on, on Twitter, actually, and then you know, allowed token holders to vote, brought out these incredible cohorts of, of creators and, and that was how season one worked. And then we realized while it was very cool to have a bunch of people who you know had never met before, even mostly online, come out and, and spend time together, we thought it would be even, even potentially more powerful to try getting 
groups of people who did know each other online, but hadn't spent a lot of time together IRL out for season two. And so that's when we developed, you know, our our passports and our, you know, NFT visas for those passports. Um, So I'm actually standing, I'm I'm holding a a physical card in my hand right now, which is our our cabin passport. It's the size size of a credit card and and it has a um, chip embedded in it. And it has a, a wallet, you know, a private key um, on huh. that chip. And we also, you know, are, are, we've been building this NFT-based product uh, for membership um, and, and access. And so what we can do is, you know, we, we've been selling uh, essentially these visas to come spend a week at the cabin. Um, and then uh-huh. we're, we're giving people that come out these physical cards that then serve as their ongoing passport and and are a wallet that can hold you know future NFTs that that provide access um, mm-hmm. to uh, parts of the network and so yeah we're we're very excited about that form factor as a a way to bridge the the on chain world into the offline world. This is yeah I mean this is like exactly why I was excited to to talk to you because I think looking at the digital world and finding a way to bring it into to the physical world. Unlike anything we've kind of had before, I mean, obviously there's like meetups, right? And there's Facebook groups, right? There, there's been these tools out there to sort of get people together from, from online and, and bring them into the, to the real world environment. The interesting thing about all this, right? Taking, let's just call it Web3 into the physical world, I think is just the opportunity to to physically, you know, be involved in, in a community again is actually... It seems like it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of been a while. Like I have friends and online people that I've never met before, right? Like I've been friends with four or five years, right? Like close friends, you know, and, and just kind of never, you just never, if you fi- find the time or like they live halfway around the world, right? And so there's expenses to that and then COVID. So there's all these things that prevent us from being in, you know, in the real world together. But so many things happen in the real world when you're together. And I'm sure you see it when you sit down you know, with, with members coming out and you sit there physically with people, the ideation that can happen, what things get brought up, I guess, I guess talk about just what that experience has been like for you to kind of like physically sit down with people and really ideate on things, you know, have, listen to, to what they're talking about, helping them perhaps solve problems. I guess, what do you see the differences from, you know, being part of a community online versus being part of a community offline now that you've kind of done, you know, at least one cohort? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that online and offline are good for for very different things. So online is great for you know breadth and um, connecting with with sort of exactly the the right people from a huge pool of possible people. Right. Um, yeah. And so if you look at like online dating is the perfect example of this, where you have mm-hmm. an incredibly highly motivated group of people that are are looking for other individuals. Yeah. And um, they, you know, if you look at the graphs of like how people meet their partners over time, it's, it's just stunning to see everything, everything else that has been the traditional ways people have done that has fallen off a cliff and, and, you know, online dating is, is through the roof. And the reason for that is because the pool of people is just so much bigger and you can, you can be so much more precise about sort of finding the right person or, or people to, to match with. And the same is true on Twitter or any online community, you know, it just allows this level of like niche interest and connection that's not available within the limits of physical geography. So that's what online is great for. What it's not great for is deep 
connections because you know we we've all spent the past couple of years on Zoom and and that's fine for some things but you know you pretty much have to have like a specific meeting agenda and purpose to hop on a half hour Zoom call and the magic of physical space is the the liminal time and space that it allows for creativity and collaboration and exploration and trust and relationship building. And so, um, you know, if you think about even Cabin as an example, we never would have started Cabin, I think, through the online community, the creator cult. We had to get together in person and be sitting around a campfire late one night and kind of um, shooting the shit and, and, you know, allowing our creative juices to flow. And I think that's the, the sort of ideal situation is that you meet people online and then you get together offline for for you know, deep relationship building, trust building, and and big, meaty, important creative work, um, strategy work, et cetera. And um, so, so that's what we're trying to help groups optimize for. And it's really interesting when you bring you know creators to together. Usually, really cool things can be built, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you, you kind of have the the tools, you know, the human capital there to kind of actually execute on it, right? A lot of, you know, ideas are, are great, but execution is is everything, right? It's often the hardest thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to, you know, do that sitting alone in in <laughs> your house, even if you're connected to people online. You know, I think that we're we're gonna move probably to a world increasingly. We're already starting to see this where, you know, it, it, we're going to be hybrid, but not hybrid in the way that people think or are talking about, right? Like the kind of standard definition of hybrid work now is this sort of like a couple of days in the office, a couple mm -hmm. of days at home, and some people are on video and some people are IRL. And that's like the worst of all worlds. I think what, what you, you actually want is a type of hybrid where for 90% of the time you can live anywhere and work at any time and it's all remote and asynchronous and then 10% of the time you're coming together with the group of people who you work with in a physical location and you know spending time bonding and, and doing that deep creative and strategy work you're really well said you, you had mentioned the uh, the nft passport how do we it looks like this might be the first product that that sort of the dao is kind of building out can you maybe talk a little bit about about that more where I guess other communities can use this tool. This is this is where I see the power in what you've created, right? Is that you created something that's now creating other things <laughs> for yeah. other creators to use. And, and right. I think we see communities popping up online kind of everywhere in every different sector, every different niche. But talk about how, I guess, the service now, a product that you guys are building out, how can that serve the, the community of communities, if you will? People can take this idea and implement it into into maybe what they want to do right with their community within their sector or within their city or wherever they may be yeah so we we're definitely interested in doing that and i, I think that yeah the, the way we're doing that is exactly what, what you just described which is that we're building products first and foremost for ourselves and then due to the fact that we are you know sort of on the um the, the bleeding edge of a lot of DAO stuff, particularly related to um, the, the kind of like on-chain to um, offline conversion. You know, we, we think that's an area where we can um, not only build cool products for ourselves, but, but also provide those to other people, other groups, other DAOs. And, you know, that, that is true for our products, which includes uh, things like 
the NFT passport visas um, uh, and you know so, some other software products we're working on, um, uh, like a, a kind of Hacker News for DAOs uh, product that that we'll be yeah. releasing soon. Um, but also, you know, is um, true for our written content and the media that we're, we're creating as a DAO. Mm -hmm. So um, we mm -hmm. have a product guild. We also have a media guild. The media guild has been incredibly active in publishing content about how to DAO um, yeah. and really diving deeply into the execution of, of you know, how, how to make DAOs functional. And we're also spinning up a podcast right now. So, you know, and then of course, we're bringing together groups of, of DAO operators, IRL to talk about these things. And so, you know, I think our, our biggest uh, goal right now is just to accelerate the GDP of the DAO economy. And, and we're trying to do that every way we can by taking all of the learnings from what we're doing and sharing them out with the, the rest of the DAO ecosystem. And, and DAOs are so, I mean, so early on here, right? So there's going to be a lot of transformation over time. And I kind of maybe want to focus the last couple of questions here on not necessarily the, maybe the, the future of, of DAOs, but perhaps kind of where we are like structurally, you're kind of in, I mean, you're in Austin, so you're kind of in a city where it seems to be proactive in perhaps supporting innovative, you know, companies and, and ideas. Wyoming just has the, because they actually have a legal DAO structure now and some states are paying attention. Um, I guess from like a, just a, a, I don't know necessarily a legal standpoint, but how do, like, where do we go from here for, for DAOs as, as they mature? I guess, do you see much more of a natural formulation of, again, not regulation, but just like, you know, forms, forms of ways to actually do it where there's a guidebook to it. Like you said, how to DAO, right? You know, there's some formation sort of paperwork or not paperwork, but, you know, things you fill out or software that a software stack that is sort of universally used to kind of get set up. And I know there's all these, these set products out there right now for DAOs, but where do you see it going maybe within the next, you know, three to five years and guess what needs to, to get better right now? I know that's a very loaded question, a lot of different Really, you can go with that, but <laughs> try. Yeah, that is certainly a big question. I'll maybe try to cover a couple of pieces of it. So first of all, I think there's not one type of DAO. There are yeah. many types of DAOs. And so um, there's not going to be one tech stack. There's not going to be one answer, um, one legal structure, one organizational structure that works across the board there, you know, in the same way that companies have many yeah. structures, uh, DAOs will and do too. And, you know, I think it's important that we get better at kind of classifying those different types of structures and, and developing language to, to talk about the, the dimensions or the, the spectra across which DAOs um, operate. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a wide spectrum. In terms of, you know, DAO tooling, I think um, there are is definitely, a, there are a lot of fantastic teams starting to build really great products in this space. It is uh, nascent for sure. And it requires pretty different mental models and, and software models, uh, monetization models mm -hmm. um, to, to build DAO tooling versus uh, most traditional Kind of web to SaaS um, right. software. Right. 
And so I think it's going to take a while for us to figure all that stuff out, but there are definitely a lot of amazing teams and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs starting to, to really think deeply about the problem space and, and create great solutions. And, you know, I think that the most important thing that can happen right now that why we're so focused on this idea of an embassy for DAOs and, and growing the GDP of the, the DAO ecosystem is bringing together DAO operators and leaders mm -hmm. and community uh, managers and, you know, folks who uh, are, are very involved in running uh, and, and supporting DAOs into the same place to talk about the problems and to try to figure these things out because everything from, you know, organizational structure to compensation to mm -hmm. um, how to set up your discord to, you know, how to, how to uh, perform governance are all really big, hard, meaty problems that don't have clear solutions. And um, the only real way to solve them is just to spend a lot of time experimenting uh, across a bunch of DAOs and then kind of learning the best patterns uh, that, that different DAOs have implemented and trying those out and continuing to evolve the, the structure of these things. DAO University seems inevitable. <laughs> the ever-changing road. I want to end on the last question. I know it's it's a little tough to to look at the the future a little bit, but just from a, a cabin perspective and what you're what you and the, and the team are building. When you look at maybe successes that you would like like to have again, going back to sort of like execution over the next maybe three to five years, like what would you like to to execute on, and, and how would you measure success? So if I look back in three to five years, I'm going to be really happy if we've done a couple things. The first one is, is just taking really tangible steps towards a decentralized city. And I think that um, this is the, the sort of thing where I think there's a, a great, possibly Bill Gates quote, something about, um, you know, people sort of like overestimate what can happen in one year and, and underestimate what can happen in 10 years. Um, <laughs> And I think people are, are probably dramatically underestimating what DAOs are capable of over the next decade. Um, yeah. And I think we're already starting to see this emerge in the context of Cabin, where we have a whole lot of people who are working, you know, kind of part-time or in their spare time on uh, the DAO, completing bounties or, you know, doing uh, various things within the DAO. And so as a result, any individual uh, kind of project or action that, that we're taking runs a little bit slower maybe than, than if there were a full-time team working on it. Right, but right. as a result of having this huge community of people running in a bunch of different directions and trying out a bunch of different things, we're sort of like a, a parallel processing computer where we can just try a bunch of things simultaneously. I think this is one of the big advantages that DAOs have is that as uh transaction costs decrease, you know, you, you can basically bring together groups of loosely coordinated people in new ways. Um, and uh, there's actually a pretty strong economic sort of theory underpinning this, which is Ronald Coase's mm -hmm. nature of the firm, which says that like companies really shouldn't exist in pure economic theory. And the only reason they do exist is because of high transaction costs. And so as software lowers transaction costs, you can get a lot more people who are sort of loosely affiliated and, and mm -hmm. working on things 
part-time. And as a result, you have this huge network of people with low transaction costs. You can actually run in a bunch of different directions simultaneously, experiment with a ton of different things and kind of see what works. And so as a result, even though each individual action might be moving a little slower, the overall organization can move very quickly. And I think we're starting to see this at Cabin. And so I think as a result, what, what I would expect over the next, say, five years is that not only will we be able to you know, continue to grow this first node as, as an embassy for DAOs and as a place where you know, incredible defining moments in the, the DAO ecosystem continue to happen, but also that we will be able to rapidly onboard new nodes and uh, have a, an actual functional um, you know, decentralized city across the world that people can start to travel around to and explore and, and be a part of different uh, sort of subcultures and, and communities within <laughs> the, the broader network. It's incredible, my man. Congrats on all the progress so far and execution so far. Um, thanks so much for, for joining me. I, I know you're busy and I'm always grateful when you know busy people take time out of their day building cool stuff. So, you know, congratulations and best of luck to the next decade, my man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks everybody for listening to the episode. Just want to give a, a quick shout out to the Cause Artist Partners. Everyone who has signed up for it, um, truly appreciate it. I will uh, list the link in below so you can check them out. If you want to become a partner, uh, just go to causeartist.com partners. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye.